0: Welcome to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari Shrike, the artist and creator behind Not Sorry Art and Not Sorry Art School. I'm so excited to talk art and creativity with you. So grab a drink, grab a snack, and let's dive in. Hey y'all, welcome back to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari, thanks for being here. In today's episode, I get to sit down and chat with Megan Collins, who is a cultural insight analyst and a generational expert. Megan is an incredibly creative person. I first found her on TikTok and I really enjoyed her insight and how she broke down these bigger, heavier topics like trend forecasting in a really applicable way. And if you had asked me a few years ago why a generational analyst or a trend forecaster would be relevant to a visual artist, I would have... I would have been curious too. I would have said I have no clue. However, Megan, her content is one of those things where I listen to it kind of on my periphery and then I find myself going back to it because there's something insightful about how creative people are inspired and our role in sort of the cultural ecosystem that I have found to be incredibly valuable and I wanted to share that with you guys. Some of the questions we talk about are what is the position of the artist in the cultural ecosystem and how can trend forecasting and sort of the concepts behind it be useful for visual artists. We also talk about the importance of sort of cross training as a creative. I view Megan Collins as an incredibly creative person. She's a writer, she's a podcaster, she works in a creative industry, but I also was able to paint with Megan on my retreat in Spain. And what I really enjoyed about her was that she had very little experience actually painting, but she considers herself an incredibly creative person. And I feel like it was one of those experiences where I learned as much from her as she did from me. And so we chat a little bit about the value of sort of pushing yourself creatively trying out different mediums, even though it's not your typical wheelhouse and how that can be an incredibly helpful process. And finally, we talk about how the isolation of being an artist at the beginning of the trend curve, which spoiler alert, most artists are well ahead of the trend curve, how we can sort of support ourselves in that journey and not feel like... We're speaking a whole different language than the rest of the culture. And I know as artists, sometimes it can feel that way when you are, you know, deep into your work and it seems like you're the only one interested in your niche subject, it can feel a little isolating. So we talk about other ways that you can sort of support yourself. And again, really finding comfort in the position of an artist in our cultural ecosystem. I so enjoyed this conversation and I hope you guys find it really interesting and get something out of it. If any of those things sound interesting to you, then strap in. Let's dive into the episode. I want to say a huge thank you again to Megan Collins for sharing some of your time and insight with us. If you'd like to follow Megan Collins, you can find her on TikTok under the handle at VirgoLikeBeyonce. You can also listen to her podcast, Megan's Pod. I'll link it in the show notes. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome so much, Megan Collins. I'm so excited for you to be here. I Full disclosure to my audience, I am such a big fan of, of you. I found you on TikTok as most of my most recent great loves in my life. <laughs> and um, I just thought you had such a good take on so much on pop culture, I feel like you do a really good job sort of sitting between trend forecasting and conversations about pop culture in a way that's really accessible and insightful. And so, you know, I feel like my audience, if they enjoy my content, they're just going to adore you. And especially if, again, you're kind of, you have that bend towards pop culture. Thank you for being here. I guess my first question for you is, can you explain a little bit more about trend forecasting and what goes into it? And more specifically, like the creative process of it? Because I think one thing about you is that I I know you from a little bit more insight here from the retreat in Spain, and I know you are a very creative person. And so if you wanted to break it down like a creative practice, could you break down what goes into trend forecasting?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here as well. Trend forecasting is basically the process of, it's basically like cultural anthropology. So it's but for popular culture. And then taking what you know and kind of saying, okay, this is what we see happening in the future. And there's different ways that people go about it. And just like a creative practice, no true trend forecasters, I'm sure have the same practice. But for me specifically, the simplest way to describe it is three is a trend. Um, But it's a little more abstract than I've seen three people wearing the color pink. So pink is a trend. And so I think what trend forecasters really do is look at these more subtle trends that people might not be picking up on yet until they're like really really picking up steam so things that might not seem connected drawing the parallels between those things and being like actually these things all have something in common and it points to people moving more towards this direction whatever that may be
0: yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I'm curious where you go for inspiration because, you know, in conventional sort of art um, interviews, people will ask, like, you know, how did you get into it, and where do you find inspiration? Because I can't imagine. Well, I, I can imagine that where you're sourcing your information is as much part of what you're finding is anything. And so do you go out in physical spaces? Do you have places on online that you sort of frequent? Because for artists, for example, a lot of us will do like a rotation of like Pinterest, our favorite movies, uh, our favorite painters, and we sort of have a Rolodex of places we go. I'm curious if your process and where you physically find inspiration is similar.
1: Yes and no. So like I said, there's lots of different ways that trend forecasters go about it. And I obviously have like a wealth resource, but I think like the macro way to think about it is in trend forecasting and specifically my, the way I practice and um, my trend forecasting analysis, we talk about the curve a lot. So there's the cultural curve and there's three pieces to this residual, dominant and emergent. And The idea is that everything sits somewhere along that curve. Things have kind of like a cultural peak when people are the most interested, that's when they're dominant. And I would say that my approach to trend forecasting has just been to live at the emergent end of the curve where things are happening so that I don't have to go out looking for them. I'm just simply immersed in it. And I do have a leg up living in LA. So, you know, that's where a lot of um, there's a lot of forward thinking culture here and a lot of like free thinking and just you know people are more open-minded to new things and trying new things so there's that and then just talking to people and really I think following my interests um like whether that's going on a painting retreat in Spain and talking to all the interesting cool people there or it's learning about people who are also living at that part of the curve but maybe have insight to different parts that I don't like the cutting edge of sports the cutting edge of video games anytime I meet someone who has a really unique interest that I don't have I am so open to like tell me everything about this I want to know why you like this and not just like what you're doing but like what is it delivering for you and you know what is it bringing to your life and so I find that that's easier to do to just steep yourself in it rather than say okay what's happening with you know 25 year old women, it's like, oh, I know because I'm following the same accounts that they are on TikTok. And I'm like listening to the same podcasts that they are. And sometimes that means I do have to keep up with things that aren't my favorite. Like, you know, I'll have to watch the top YouTubers just so that I know what's happening on YouTube, even if they're not necessarily my taste. But I think that part of what makes it interesting for me is to find points of entry that are truly authentic to me and then really exploring from there. But really living at the emergent end of the curve. And then the other thing that I do is, and I made a TikTok about this that I think that you commented on too, was um, I'm really thoughtful about who I follow and where I get my sources. And in this TikTok video, I talked about following like one person who looks like you. So like as a Black woman, that's a thing where like, sure, someone can be like, oh, try these 15 hairstyles, but maybe only one of them is going to work on me. So really looking to people who have things in common with you. So whether that's someone who looks like you, someone who thinks like you, and you know, that's why I follow you for your great takes on not just art, but like the meaning beyond it and capitalism and the entire system of what goes into who gets to create art. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, someone within your tax bracket, because I think that It's also important that you're understanding kind of where you're at in not just culture, but socioeconomic status. Because I think that's also a danger of living at this cutting edge of the curve is that you could falsely think that everyone lives like you. And this is what life is like for everybody. But you have to keep in mind that it's not. And I think staying in touch with other people, whether that's globally, middle America, the other coasts. So it's understanding like, we live at. I'm living at the edge of the curve. Not everyone is. So I might have a little bit of foresight into where we're headed, but that doesn't mean that I'm an expert on everything everywhere.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's so helpful. And that's such golden advice about how, being really intentional with who you're following and who you're consuming, both like intentionally who you're wanting to consume, and then who you are like filtering out and being really aware of that. And then I wanted to break down a little bit why a trend forecaster would be such an important person to talk to for artists. Um, I think I sort of can be blind to it, because I've just valued your work for so long. that I'm like, yeah, of course, it's really helpful to listen to what Megan thinks. But I think something that artists um, really, it's, it's a tough part, especially if you're an artist on social media, that, you know, you think that, it's just about keeping up with trends because there are trends to art and a part of being an artist for most people is selling their goods. And I feel like a lot of you know e-commerce and stuff, they really are sitting at the middle of that, that graph. I'm going to include in the show notes kind of an image of the, the graph that Megan is talking about. But for artists and trend forecasters, I think what's kind of similar and unique is that what goes into, you know, inspiration is both super duper important for both. I feel like artists sort of unintentionally bump into those things. And because you do it more for work and I, I would hope that, you know, you enjoy it and there's like a lot of pleasure and overlap in that, but you, you know, Your the way you come up with inspiration is like pertinent to your job in a way that for artists, I feel like sometimes it can feel very subconscious, like who you're paying attention to, who you're listening to, where you're going, what you're looking for as far as inspiration. And so, you know, for someone who is trying to find their style or or, you know, not always be behind the curve, I feel like a lot of what you talk about is super helpful to people. And that was kind of my next question is like, what is a trend curve? But I'm curious. From you, like, where do artists usually fall on that curve and or do artists have a place in the trend
1: forecasting ecosystem? Artists definitely have a place in the trend forecasting ecosystem. And I would say artists also live at this emergent part of the curve. I think commerce does complicate that because so much of what is profitable, profitable so much of what is profitable is in that middle part of the curve where things are really popular and dominant and not quite as cutting edge or challenging the status quo which i think is kind of what artists want to be doing as far as i know but i think one challenge for me too is understanding that my role in the capitalist system is to elevate things before they're popular and i want to do that responsibly so i don't want to take like an artist's work and say disco balls are the next big thing <laughs> every it's all about disco balls i want to i want to up-level that somehow and say, there's this really great artist, Terry, who paints these disco balls. And what does this tell us about the ways that artists are breaking out of the mold from painting on, you know, rectangular canvases that we're seeing like this explosion of shapes and colors. Mm-hmm. So maybe kind of even challenge the people who I'm giving these insights to, to up-level the artists in some way, take the artist's idea further than just one for one copying what the artists have done. So. I think I think of my job as when I'm doing it well, as kind of a bridge between these culture emergent, really creative people and the capitalist system that wants to like, you know, spread that and make it available to the masses. Because I do think that there is the argument to be made that not everyone can afford an original disco ball, but might like to get in on the joy and the happiness. And, and there is a place for that to be done responsibly, right? So that is my goal to kind of like be that bridge but I do think that it's harder for artists, especially in these days, I see so many getting ripped off, just like straight up, take their art and take their creativity. And I think that that makes me sad, obviously, for the artists, but it also makes me sad because that is where culture is made. And if you if you take that away from artists, if you disenfranchise them, if you de-incentivize them for from creating just for the sake of creating, you don't get culture pushed forward and you don't get these beautiful things, and you don't get like a renaissance, you know? (laughs) And so I think that there is definitely a place for artists. And I try as much as I can to like, protect that. The old model of trend forecasting that was most popular, actually, we would call like an influencer had nothing to do with social media following. It was someone who was influential within their community in driving ideas and culture and habits and trends. And it's kind of co-opted by capitalism to be someone who can impact the bottom line were are still like that step one where they are creators um first and foremost who then have the power to influence influencers
0: yeah no i love that and actually i you know, whenever I was having sort of the back and forth with my disco balls for just a tiny bit of context, I'm sure everyone's sick of the disco ball story, but you know, I came up with this idea in 2019. It was one of those ideas that, and I have these ideas all the time. I think they're unique and then I Google it and it's already a thing. Like i it's just, I'm sure a lot of people do that, but um, the disco balls were really unique. And that I was like, well, surely someone's done this on a circle canvas, Googled it. As far as I could tell, uh, you know, I didn't see it. And, you know, eventually disco balls were having a moment. Culturally, I probably was picking up on something on the zeitgeist. Nothing is truly, you know, started from within. I mean, rarely, I suppose, but, you know, and it, it turned into a thing. And luckily I was in a position and I had, you know, um, enough of a following and a size. And I already set up an e-commerce that I was able to sort of ride that wave and, you know, financially, and, and when my career profit from it. So I think, you know, all things considered, that was a really, you know, a kind of a win for me in a lot of ways. But I know that a lot of artists maybe aren't kind of set up in that way. And so I, I talk about the issue and being respectful and stuff like that to sort of help other people. But I think one of the things that you do in your work that has been really reassuring to me, if something like that happens, and someone doesn't, you know, find a way to sort of Uh, cash in on their idea or being at the the beginning of that bell curve. One of the things that was really reassuring about what you're doing is I didn't ever figure out the word or the ideas behind the fact that being an artist means that you sort of are inherently playing around the beginning of the curve. And if you've done it once, you can do it again, because that is where your job, your interest, your desire has already sort of led you. And so I, you know, can tell myself all day long, you know, you can come up with more ideas and it's a platitude and, you know, okay, sure, maybe I can. But seeing kind of what you do and in your work and knowing that there is, even if it's subconscious, there is a formula to it that if you're Led by your interests, if you're, um, you know, curious and open and continuing to put in the work, you will continue to sort of do that. And it's not the same pace for everyone. And again, I'm not saying it's a good thing to have your stuff ripped off, but a reassuring thing that I learned from you is that no, 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 there's science to this. And if you're playing at the beginning of, you know, if you're an influencer, old, you know, ye old influencer, that it will happen again, (laughs) and that it's worth putting your energy, time, and really being care, you know, loving and careful of that taking in an inspiration process. And I don't know, but that that gave me a ton of relief when I found kind of what you were doing on the internet and how you were talking about the trend curve and everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, one of the ways I think about it that's less like researchy and graphy is like if humanity and we're all walking down a path, right, and we're all headed the same way, if you're just a little ahead, you're seeing things before everyone else is and you can point them out and people may or may not listen And you can either sit there and keep pointing and take credit for being the first person to notice, or you can keep walking and keep going ahead and see the next thing before people do. And that used to be very frustrating for me because, you know, the the mythology of Cassandra, so she was like cursed with seeing the future, but no one would believe her. That's kind of what it feels like to be a trend forecaster sometimes of like, you just see things coming, but people just don't really believe you. And then a few years later, everyone's like, Oh, this is a big thing. And you're like, I told you that two years ago. And I used to get really frustrated and like pull up the receipts and say, I've been telling you guys this. And now I'm just like, I'm taking that as reassurance and I kind of take it as like, Oh, okay. So that's how far ahead I am. And kind of like, in my own head, be like, oh, okay, so this person who's telling me about this thing I noticed two years ago is two years down the path from where I am. So, and then I kind of think, okay, what else two years ago might've been interesting to them, to me. And then I'll be like, oh, and did you know this? I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And kind of use it as a way to connect as opposed to be annoyed that they're not quite as caught up to where I am, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I know it can get so annoying when someone's like taking credit for things and I've kind of tried to use it to my advantage, um, especially when it comes to like the discourse and like thought leadership of, it can be very frustrating for someone to take credit of for your thought leadership. But I'm like, I mean, if they're spreading it, I, and ultimately I want the message out there more than I want to take credit for the message. So I'm fine with that. And like I said, I know that that's different for artists because that's how you make your living. But I, it is very important for artists to remember that they're doing something more valuable than just like the actual painting on the canvas. Um, and creativity is more than just like what people are how how much people are going to appreciate it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I really appreciate your insight on that. And I think another thing that's been really valuable from both this conversation and, and following you and listening to your thoughts is, you know, artists are always talking to what feels like a void. And, you know, you have sales <laughs> that give you some Same. insight. Yeah. <laughs> and you have, you know, you have your peers, but it's it's hard to sort of, un- like you, you know, I, I think a theme in this episode is that, you know, the value of sort of marching to the beat of your own drum, you know, no matter kind of how that looks for you. And, you know, one thing I see a lot happen to, to artists is, you know, you get kind of lost in like, what are people thinking of my artwork and how is this responding? And is, you know, and you've, I've, the disco ball thing for me was me being on time and in a good trajectory, but I've also had bodies of work. Like I did a big Uh, teenage still life series um, several years ago. And I put it out to all the like, you know, places that you should put your work when you finish something and polished it and, you you know, New American Magazine and all this good stuff. Anyways, and it did not land well. (laughs) It was, you know, very feminine, very teenage- and very recently, like within the last couple of weeks, there's been some CDC reports and some really good discourse about like the pressure on adolescent girls. And that was something I was very intentional with with the artwork. It wasn't just a cheap, nostalgic, you know, look at the past. It was, you know, the Sunny D jug because, as a reference to Juno and what it looks like to be dismissed and then have the pressure of you know, legislation, big, heavy front of mind legislation on your shoulders and sort of the the, dis- the dissonance of that emotion. And so when I made it, I was saying those things and it didn't land. And I had some people who were interested. And I think at the end of the day, if you have just like a small group of people who like what you're doing, you're gold. But now I'm sort of seeing other people who, you know, are, I won't get into the weeds, but who are saying what I was saying, you know, later, and that's fine. I've worked through that body of work. But I think what you do and that's really valuable is you give sort of some logic to what is happening there that it's like you might just be ahead of the curve. Like the curve works like this media, you know, thoughts, we think that thoughts travel overnight, but they actually take years, months, you know, maybe decades even to sort of permeate. And it's been really helpful as an artist to understand how you break down trends. And as artists, we like to think that we're not about trends and we're above trends. But truthfully, trends are a lot of what we do. Granted, it's at the short the beginning of that arch but um you know your commerce is attached to the middle you being understood and accepted is attached to the middle i mean how many cases of artists who are like just never understood in their time and they died penniless and now you know what they did makes perfect sense in the zeitgeist you know we see that over and over and i think what you're doing you know talking about not only trend forecasting but culture and sort of giving examples in real time has been incredibly helpful to me, and I would assume to other people listening that that's going to be a really nice thing to to think about. I mean, I guess so. My my question for you is: Is there something that artists should be thinking about? Like, if they keep finding themselves way ahead of the curb, is there anything that you would you know tell them or like that would help them sort of ride out that that gap where people haven't quite caught on to what they're doing and what they're making?
1: I I would have to think to be honest, but my my first instinct is just find your people. So when you talked about like your body of work, that's, I feel like, I think that was the first body of work I saw from you, the teenage girls still lifes. And that is something that is very important to me and my work. And like what I do in my day job of like advocating for teenage and teenage girls and, you know, your work impacted me and my stance on that. So it's like, while I may not have bought one of those pieces at the time, It still helps spread a message. And I think as I, you know, continue to go about my career and spread the word about you and talk about you, that's going to bring more eyes to that. And so I think the way I like to think about it is planting seeds Mm -hmm. um, because especially when you're so far ahead, right? This path that we're talking about. So you got to plant seeds and then help and then hope that other people water them and that they'll grow, but it takes time and patience and even with me I've been making content on the internet since I was like 13 years old and I've only just now like started to get a following you know what I mean and not that I was ever trying but it's just like when it's like I think there is something to when your time to be on the stage you will be on the stage and people will be saying okay what is it that we need to learn from you there is a little bit it's crowded now with social media and all of that but I think just trying to find your people we're seeing more people um audiences especially on social media want more smaller communities they don't necessarily want to follow the people who the influencers who have you know 10 billion followers and while that seems like okay that what does that mean for me as an artist that's going to trickle down throughout all parts of consumerism. And even as I've seen more interest in the art world, like, as I said, I live at the um, emergent end of the curve and art is only something that I felt was accessible to me in the last few years through people like you. So as that continues to be a thing, it's going to be less about getting recognition from the mainstream art establishment and more of an established community and having like a community of buyers and collectors and people who are interested in your work and there is an element of art as kind of like, I've kind of been thinking about of like a horror crooks of like thought and ideas and like energies. And I think that that's something that's going to continue to resonate with people and that they're going to want to buy art and even just an art print from artists who they align with and their values beyond just, oh, this will look good in this corner of my house. I feel like I had one other thought on that but it escaped me
0: no that's (laughs) good no I love that I and that's really encouraging I think to hear for artists because I mean that's something I think I've thought for a while you know art art more so than I think a lot of kinds of art the visual art world has really had this monopoly I mean if you look at graphs like it's you know I think there's like 90 artists that basically generate like 90 something percent of the income I mean, it's a blue chip sort of game and it's it's really not connected to I think what art is at its core which is just visual communication and so you know you saying that the internet is only now starting to be at a place where it's prime for that I've certainly seen that in my work people assume that it's like in order to be a successful artist you have to be able to cast this incredibly wide net and I can tell you from personal experience that that's the case that really coming up with that small community and kind of to your point, planting seeds, both in like the art that you're making and the statements that you're making, but also in the sense of community and really letting it be a slow organic build, because something that you reminded me of is things kind of have their time. And sometimes when you're picking up on something at the very beginning of that curve, you know, it's so quiet that you it's like no one has made the statement yet. It hasn't gotten to the part of the curve where there's someone with a like a sandwich board and yelling the the thing that's happening, right? No one has made it a think piece yet. And so it's going to feel this, like abstract, like, I don't know, man. I just adolescent. I feel like there's a lot of shame around it. No one's really talked about it, you know, and then by the time you're making art, you know, it does have this domino effect. And I think one of the messages I would want to make to someone who's listening to this episode is really urging them to listen to themselves and have patience because even with like what you're doing, so, um, you know, you, you do a really good job sort of blending pop culture takes, you know, views on sort of like aesthetics and lots of other interests that, typically feel like they fall on the other side of like deep critical thought. And I remember, and they're not, but and I remember several years ago, maybe, maybe just, maybe not a decade ago, I used to listen to this podcast called things your mother didn't tell you or something like that. And they had a, an author on and she, I forget her name. I'll link it in the show notes, but she wrote a, basically a book about how to take, how to digest trash TV, like <laughs> real housewives and not lose the critical part of yourself. And I remember that felt so like pivotal and mind blowing at the time. And like, I really had to sift through it. And it feels like what you're like that. So you saying what you're saying now back then, I feel like I could see why that wouldn't land. I just, we were not culturally, or at least I wasn't prime to take in that information. It still felt like, you know, things that girls like, how can that be critical? And, and, but now we're sort of at a place where we're like, oh yeah, no, that does make sense. It's actually another avenue. We can break down values in our culture. And because I've learned from you, like, I know that those things don't, aren't opposite. So, you know, seeing, I feel like even you hearing you say, I've been putting out these thoughts for years. I've been working in this for years and you having the patience to push through. And now you're sort of reaping the rewards and, you know, picking the flowers. If we're going to continue with the metaphor, it's just been a really cool process to watch, I guess.
1: Yeah. And my friend, Mary, actually put it well. She said it's very lonely at the at the forefront because there aren't that many people just there with you just by inherent like the way numbers work, right? At the front end of the curve where there's only a few people doing something, there's just not that many people. And so you really have to try harder to seek out those perspectives to feel like someone else is in in it with you and having those same thoughts because it can be like, am I crazy? Like, where is everybody else? Why is no one else saying the thing that I'm saying? And then a few years later, everyone catches up and you're like, oh, okay. And I feel like so much of my first like, Five years of my career was kind of just learning to trust myself because I had to be like, really say, no, I believe that this is going to blow up. And um, so much of my job is predicting things, but it's having confidence in it because if I don't believe it, the people who I'm talking to are not going to believe it. Um, So I've had to learn, but I think it's important to do it put it out there and then you revisit the past stuff you did and you're like oh I was correct and I'm not always exactly correct but it's close enough or I'm like oh I see how this this event impacted this to go differently than we thought it was going to go but having that to look back on is really reassuring and validating just for myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that you brought up trust because that was something when, you know, you were talking that I kept thinking, it's like, yeah, there, you have to really learn to trust yourself. And certainly I think as an artist, it's the same thing. It's like, how do you, you know, tether yourself to this big, long project and pour all this money into this vision and, you know, maybe it won't pan out. And it, it is a real act of trust to be at that end of, of the the inspiration end. Of the spectrum. And, you know, I'm curious, I know you are a Virgo and you're very organized. Mm-hmm. I feel like you do a lot of great, you know, where my more cluttered Sagittarius energy, like we'll do it all in my brain and try to get it figured out there. You do a great job, like pulling things into the real world and making charts and stuff. Is there anything, if I could ask you, is there like a good companion guide to what should someone do if they're at that end, if they're at the lowly end of the pool and they're, they're making work and they don't know if they should trust themselves. Like, is there some good practices that you would recommend for someone who's in that space of their career?
1: Yes. Um, so my biggest tip is to first, everything you do needs to be within your own nature. So I am just like an organized note taking morning person. So I to tell you like get up every day and I have four journals I write it and they're all different topics. That's not helpful because that's trying to be something you're not. And even with my trend forecasting, I have integrated into my into my life. And so I think that that would be my biggest thing is just kind of think about the places where you're just naturally getting inspiration think about how you're going about that and figure out how you can capture that. So one thing that I do for instance is I take a lot of my inspiration around like what people are talking about or what people care about from TikTok. And so I'll use the TikTok save feature and I'll make boards of like different topics and maybe they're not something I'm researching for work yet or something I'm studying just something I'm noticing and then I'll be like, "Hey, Actually, I've noticed that there's 17 videos about this specific book. Is there something that we should look into here? So it's not about trying to make yourself or make your habits into something or not, but really what I call mining the process of that you're and formalizing how you already work. Um, one thing that I've done that's kind of changed my life is weirdly tracking my cycle And like different days, I'm different levels of productive, different levels of creative. Some days are better for writing. Some days are better for thinking. Some days I just want to clean. Mm -hmm. And so that's like just kind of like paying attention to your own natural rhythms and honoring them and working with them as opposed to being so rigid with yourself about like, I have to get in this many reps or I must take because. I've definitely done that and gone into extremes where I'm like, I'm going to write down everything I ate, everything I wore and like going to have the most like comprehensive journal that there ever was. And that's just not realistic. So now I have journals that are like about things that I would already be thinking about anyways, every day, but now I'm just sitting down and taking the time to write them down. So I think that so much of it and me being really good at my job has been not me trying to like be a certain way, but just honoring who I am trusting that I'm going to see the trends. And that all I can do is sharpen the skills that I already have, rather than trying to make up some that I don't already have.
0: Yes, yeah, no, that's, that's such good advice. And I feel like, you know, with artists, especially once you've made the plunge to full time, and not everyone has, and I think all all varying levels of artists are totally valid. But sometimes when people make that initial jump, they sort of and because now they have all this free time, they sort of try to like structure and rigid and, you know, they're like, well, I'll paint eight hours a day. And I find that what people tend to miss is like the inspiration part of what you're doing is actually pretty big. And it involves a lot of like, what you were saying, listening to yourself, are you a morning person? Are you, um, do you work seasonally, like really kind of it's something that it seems so basic but because of what we know about capitalism and how we are demanded to produce productivity and you know and social media requires that to some you know similar kind of level that we, I think sometimes can override our own instincts, our own, you know, desires, our own way that we sort of live. And I find that when I'm in a place with my art that I'm not listening to those signs and I haven't carved out the time for joy or fun or ease, that I'm not very good at picking up and getting new inspiration. So I think that that you brought that up is, I hope it's really helpful because that was a breakthrough for me that took unfortunately years to get through. I thought I sort of just like was, you know, really pushed myself thinking that that's how to become a really good productive artist and to make all that free time worthwhile. And in reality, it's a lot of like enjoying stuff. And you know, it doesn't sound like work, but it's, it is vital to the process. If you want to be inspired, if you want to make art that's in line with who you are and what you're excited about, it's a lot of like, half days at Disneyland or, you know, walking around the park or, you know, a spa day. Like, I know that doesn't sound like creative work, but that's where like inspiration comes from. And I think when you're taking care of yourself, that's where you're going to be at a place where you can tap into those ideas.
1: Totally. I always think of the show house and he always has his breakthrough when he's doing something else. It's never when he's like in the OR or anything, he's always like doing something random and then he puts it all together and breaks the case. And I think that that's that's often me. We're like, we're working on something at work and I go for a walk and then I come back and I'm like, I have the solution. So, you know, it's not, I think, like you said, capitalism makes you think like, you must do these things and you, all of these outputs. I personally am in a place where I luckily don't have to monetize my hobbies. And that's like a rule that I stick to, like, don't monetize your hobbies. I love my job. But anytime I've tried to be like, I'm going to like, book and like talk about it and I just it takes all of the enjoyment out of it and just has it been worth it so I think it's about finding a balance and luckily I think now also we have like more of a culture of creation younger people are used to kind of supporting their favorite creators being patrons of their favorite creators whether that's through patreon podcasts donations on various platforms so I think that that will also trickle to the art world where it will become more normal for like the everyday person to be like, no, I am a patron of the arts. And these are the artists who I love. And um, hopefully we'll see that culture of creation spread there as well.
0: Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up too, because that was another question I had as, you know, a generational expert. I'm I'm very curious. So my, I have a hunch that the boundaries between creativity, like who is a creator, a formal artist, and who is a consumer are going to become incredibly muddy. I think everyone is going to be part patron, (laughs) part consumer, part creator going forward. And I also think that people aren't going to stick to one medium. I think that being sticking to one medium, I had a whole podcast about niching down and I've been thinking about it since, but having to hold yourself to one very singular idea, I think, is a product of our world moving very slow. You know, that name travels by the time, your name gets out there if you're on a new body of work that's not going to work for you but now because of the speed of which things are processing and even things like album cycles are becoming obsolete I find that the idea that you have to hold on to something longer than it feels natural luckily is phasing out but I'm, I'm curious like what your thoughts on what creator culture looks like going forward and it's more specifically for the younger generations do you think that the nature at which we can create and consume is going to change
1: yeah you're so right already about the waters being muddied between like creator and consumer. That's even something that um, I talk about in my work in social media of like, it used to be you had creators and viewers and now you have this middle class of viewer c- hybrid creators, viewer creators. And even it's become like a function of apps like TikTok of like to really truly participate in TikTok to even like 75%, you're likely making content. So we're definitely seeing that become more normalized. One thing that I like to do is like zoom out and think about like other forms of communication that revolutionized anything. And like the written word, for instance, you know, like I'm sure there were people having this exact conversation, like is everyone just gonna know how to write one day? Like what happens when that, what happens in that world? What does that world look like? And now we all have computers in our pockets. So we're definitely moving towards a world of creators slash consumers. And what I'm noticing is that the platforms for succeeding are delivering on creativity tools. So tools for creativity. That being said, it just unlocks a different layer of creativity. I don't think it like replaces anything. I don't think it, it just makes it more accessible to more people. And I think that's why creativity is something that people are craving and actively seeking out right now um, because they have access to it and it's something that they can do. And I think that it has also given people this notion of like, well, how come some people get to do this for a job and I don't? (laughs) And like, you know, and I also think that there's just so many more people and my friend has a digital strategy agency. And one thing I told her is like, you have to realize that, a lot of people wouldn't consider themselves content creators, but they are because maybe they're not the one talking to the camera, but they work for Coca-Cola and they're working on an ad campaign. They are a content creator or like any sort of marketing is content creation. If you write an email that goes out to 15 people every week, you're a content creator. Like mm-hmm. if you're making PowerPoints, you're a niche content creator. Like So all everything is content and not all of it is monetizable. But it is all about the thing, what does become monetizable, I feel like, is the pushing of boundaries and the pushing of limits and being someone who is constantly um, expanding the limits of what is possible in a world where we have all the tools to do everything at our fingertips.
0: Yeah, no, and that it's that's so good. And it reminds me of, like, every once in a while, the statistic around, like, they'll pull like the youngest generation and they'll say, uh, you know, 70% of them want to be influencers or or YouTubers. And they always say it like in this doomsday kind of way. And I have never understood that because all that tells me is that young people want to be creative and be themselves. And I feel like, well, that's such a great thing. If I raise a kid who really wants to be creative and be himself, I'd be pretty proud as a parent. And so, you know, I think sometimes people can get weird about it because there is such a scarcity mindset around, the creator consumer model. And I think economics is a flawed science. I mean, I think, I don't know, maybe that's just my personal take, but, you know, assuming that having abundance of new creators is going to somehow flood the market, you know, I can say personally, I know plenty of people who followed, started following me just because it was easy art on Instagram and they would never consider themselves art people or consumers of art and they didn't go to museums and And then all of a sudden now they're buying from multiple artists and it's because they bought their first print from me. And it's like, and I think we're, as you know, the people creating are growing and changing and evolving and reflecting different kinds of peoples and communities who've often been left out of these conversations. I don't think it's that we're fighting for the same few people. I think more people are going to consume and create. And I think it's this wonderful abundance and growth, you know, for the most part. And so I don't know, I'm curious what you think whenever that um, that little, I don't know if you've heard it, but that doomsday, you know, everyone wants to be an influencer quote <laughs> goes around.
1: Oh, yes. And I've definitely been one of the people presenting that. I try, I, I don't present it as like a doomsday quote, but definitely yeah. like that social media is very top of mind and aspirational for these people. But I think you're so right. It's not necessarily that they want to be a social media star. It's that they see the autonomy the creative freedom the fun that these people are having, and they want to do that as well. And I think that it goes back to what I was saying about we're moving away from these mega influencers with 10 million followers and more towards meaningful connections and smaller communities. So I think that we're going to kind of see the more like village model, but like, online, so you'll have like your little online village of people and like, Um, everyone who's like ideology ideologically connected and you know aesthetically connected and everyone's going to have their own little their own customized village of people that's just for them and I'm sure the metaverse will find a way to like actually like make this a reality that you can see and be tangible for you but it'd be like imagine you go to megan land and i have a museum and there's series works of art and you can visit you know my museum and it's like the artists that are interesting to me so i think that's where we're headed it's going to be like more democratized i guess creativity is going to be more democratized and we'll see fewer influencers who are massive and the way I'm seeing that manifest now is everyone's like culture's kind of mid, like everything's kind of boring. I don't know. It's not that good, but as someone who like studies this, it's because right now we have people catering to the majority and anytime you cater to the majority and what everybody can agree on, it's watered down. Um, Not that, exciting it's not going to like really move and resonate people but it's just going to make everyone kind of go yeah that that's good I guess yeah we all agree but what people really want are those things that make them feel something that really move them that really hit on something that they are feeling thinking about and I think we're seeing the fatigue of the mass boring monoculture and so I think we're going to have a, a overcorrection to microcultures and like these little smaller niche communities that are like hyper-connected. we already kind of see this with like clean girl and Mm -hmm. like coconut girl. um, But I think we'll see it in a more values driven way.
0: Yeah. I I think that's, and that's such, what you just said is like totally soothing for artists because, you know, (laughs) I, you get so caught up in like, This idea that just because that's how the model has been, like everyone kind of has to like you in order for you to become successful as an artist. But I find that like I, you know, the most community that I've been the most proud of to sort of create with my art has been often at risk of alienating people. So obviously when you make artwork Mm -hmm. that's teenage girl specific, you're going to have a whole demographic that's going to plug their nose and run away. And I think that's why like I had a, up until really recently, like a 90 something percent TikTok uh, people who identify as female follower rate. And it was like a 90 on Instagram. And it's in, you know, you think of that and you can think of it in terms of like, oh, that's such a loss, But I find that the more it's, it's a delicate balance. And I think the, the, the way to navigate it is just like, be really authentic to yourself. But I think it's a delicate balance of like you, the more you sort of push away mainstream culture. Yes. Okay. Are you risking not having the next big art thing and becoming a millionaire? I guess maybe shoot your shot, but what you do when you alienate that and and be authentic to yourself is you're finding people who are really excited about what you're doing because they're not seeing that reflected in other people. And so the more you can make art, you know, you think oh don't don't get too niche because then no one will find you, but if you continue to plug and make people who are really excited about you. You're going to be able to tap into things like word of mouth and people who are excited enough to buy something that costs 3, 4, 5,000 like I can even tell you with like my bodies of work. Like people love the disco balls, but I don't have too many people who are like this changed my life in the way that other works that I've made are. And they're different and there's, you know, not that I don't think anything's good or bad, you know, less good, less bad than anything, but I just think it's something that artists need to be really mindful of and I think what you just said is probably soothing some people right now of like smaller, more niche groups, more tapped into your ideology. And yeah, I think that's really exciting to hear.
1: <laughs> one of, when I first started going, like, pop, when I first started getting on the FYP a lot on TikTok, one of the comments I got most often was some variation of, like, I had a similar thought, but I wasn't going to say anything. Or, I, this bothered me, but I didn't really know why you really put words to it. And so there is value in that. And that is where you're going to get the most engagement of really those people who are seeing the same things that you are, but you maybe are five steps ahead of them on this trail. And you're able to point out the thing that's going to be interesting to them when they get to where you are. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I love that. And and finding community. And that's always like my biggest advice whenever I, you know, if I ever meet someone and they're like, how do I be an artist? Just like a be authentic, which I think we've, you know, really covered, but then also, you know, grow a small community and it can be really small. Like I know plenty of people who, you know, have what is it like a hundred true fans kind of idea, but like a few thousand followers and, you know, they're smart, they can monetize it. They've sort of adjusted their life to fit that kind of a model, but there's definitely ways, you know, to be an artist with a smaller community. And I think it's exciting too, to hear you say all that, because I think sometimes artists get this feeling that like, it's too late. There's already enough artists who are saying similar enough stuff. Like I can't add anything to it. And I vehemently disagree with that because I think you know, kind of one of the wonders of the world is like, there's no two people who are the same. And I think, you know, that's like a fact and we gloss over it, but it's like, it's so it's, it's miraculous. Like it really is special. And I think, you know, if someone doesn't feel like they're going to make art because they're going to just start making art like someone else, and that's totally fine, you know, to learn that way. I would say that you will eventually hit a fork in the road where you want to do something different. And that's where the magic starts to happen. And I would encourage people to, it's never too late. You know, social media feels saturated. Sure. But you're, there's more people logging on. There's more people who are getting into art all the time. Like I know as being a creator online that like I have audience turnover all the time, like every six to eight months, it feels like I get a whole different crop of people and I have my, you know, core 20, but then like, it's really like you, it's never too late. And what you have to say is valuable, even if you don't feel like it is.
1: (laughs) I also think one thing we're seeing more in a shift towards social media and in a shift due to social media and a change in marketing and just kind of consumerism in general is that for so long, we've been focused on youth because that's who you're able to kind of form their opinions and then have a lifelong customer. However, I'm noticing and kind of predicting that as people have access to tools like TikTok and Instagram, it's less about what's popular and more about what is super relevant to them, even as they age. And so it's going to kind of like create these little generational bubbles of celebrity and interest and zeitgeist. And you know, boomers have a zeitgeist, Gen Xers have a zeitgeist. It won't, you won't age out of the zeitgeist. You'll just age into a different one. And so I think that that's going to, I think the millennials are going to be the first generation who are really going to do this and kind of, I've I've even seen it of like, it used to be trends were always so youth driven. And now I kind of have to parse through and be like, even though this is a trend, it's a millennial trend. And it's like driven by a bunch of 40 year olds. And that is cool and interesting for me to see as a generational researcher of like, even the way we're going to have to look at generations is changing due to new technologies. So, you know, the way that things were isn't the way that they have to be necessarily.
0: Yeah. Like you don't age out of like creativity, you know, I feel like since we have, you know, I I feel like a lot of times like people's engagement on social media to me feels creative. Like I know people like to draw this big thick line in the sand between content creator, content consumer, I guess, and artist. And I don't think there is, Cut and dry as it seems. And so what's interesting about that is it, it, you know, millennials are saying, hey, like, I still want to find and discover new things, new styles, new people, new books, new whatever. And I think it's, you know, it, it, to me, it's a signal that like we are becoming a more creative culture. And to be fair, I think America's only had up to go. I think we, you know, because of how mass <laughs> consumery and, you know, the legacy of America, like we really could only go one direction. So, you know, I think that that's a really exciting thing. And and I guess if I wanted to encourage anyone, I would say like, it's never too late to get on social media because like, you're not aging out of things. What you have to say and think is interesting, especially if you're thoughtful and authentic about it. But that's so good to hear. I, oh gosh, I, I appreciate that so much. <laughs> Can I ask okay, so to pivot slightly um, and kind of get to the, the, the far final question, sadly, but <laughs> I was curious about your experience in Spain. And so something that I feel pretty passionately about is that, you know, you don't, you don't have to be good at, like, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be your niche for you to go and enjoy something. So I get questions a lot of people who like, I've never picked up a paintbrush and want to come paint with me or take a class or whatever. And I think sometimes people are so bogged down by the idea that they have to be instantly. And I'm saying good as in like, like you can instantly sell what you're doing and monetize it that people become discouraged. But what was so exciting about having you and Capri on um, another person who both, if if you don't mind me sharing this, admitted that they had never yeah. really painted before and that they were total novices. But I had two people who were, yeah, who never painted and were in the course. And I feel like I learned as much from you guys as you did me. So it was such a fun experience, but I'm curious, like, How has that helped you in your other creative endeavors? Do you think more people are, is that a trend? If I can
1: ask you that and yeah, what are your thoughts? Well, it's definitely a trend because this year, the conversation, the emerging conversation has all been about community and people looking to find community. And I see more and more people going on trips or like signing up for like, these types of excursions around a hobby or an interest. And so that is definitely one way that I was like living ahead of the curve and you too, by hosting it um, last year and like going to it. And I wrote about it for work and people found it really interesting. Um, I went with the specific purpose of trying to do something I was bad at, because that is something I struggle with perfectionism and not doing things, especially creative things, because I'm so hard on myself. And if it's not perfect, I get annoyed. And I think that taking the course that you did was, I didn't, it kind of unlocked the idea for me that creativity is a practice. I didn't really understand that and that there is a process to it. And I am a writer. I feel like I didn't say that before that, but I do now because the way that you approached um, painting, I was like, oh, I kind of do this for writing. And like, since then I feel like it's changed the way I write and my writing practice, so to speak. And so that's been really cool. And it's unlocked a lot of creativity for me. But I would say it also helped me understand it's it was kind of like watching an episode of how it's made. And then you walk away with a whole new appreciation for whatever you're watching get made. That was me and just art in general and kind of art as a concept and you talked about photorealism and it not being about capturing like what you're seeing, but kind of like the experience of seeing it. And that has unlocked so much for me, especially as we're talking about AI and AI generated art. And Lisa, who is also on the trip, talked about perception on Instagram. And I was like, this is why AI cannot actually create art because art is inherently this process. It's not a product. And I think that understanding art has helped me understand creativity even more, even if I'm not a painter, so to speak. And I did have fun and I do still paint sometimes. And I feel like I am a better artist for it in all of the things that I do creatively, even though I didn't like walk away with it, walk away from it, Van Gogh. That said, I do want to go again if you do it. Yeah. I know you're doing it this year, but if you do it again next year. I, yeah. I'm definitely hoping to go.
0: <laughs> oh, I would love that. Yeah. We're hoping to do it every year, but I, I love that. And, I, and something you said also remind me, like, I, you know, I believe that the world is better with more artists in it. And I do use the term artist generously. I think we, we gatekeep it and it's weird and creepy because like, who, who do we hurt? It's not like a, like a structural engineer. Like I want those people to go through multiple testing before they can call themselves that or a neurosurgeon. <laughs> but an artist is such like, it's so innate to just being human. And like, I always ask myself when there's hesitation around something or a limitation, like who does this help to uphold and who does it hurt? And for me, more people calling themselves artists hurts literally no one. It doesn't, I'm a professional artist and it doesn't hurt me if you call yourself an artist, you know, but, um, I also think that, uh, you know, something you said reminded me that the more people create and kind of learn how it gets made, the more you have more insight into an appreciation for what you're looking at. And something else I feel like there's a bit of a scarcity model around and there shouldn't be is compassion. And, you know, I deal with troll comments, you know, somewhat on the regular. Not, I'm, I don't do anything too incendiary. But um, when people say stuff about my art, I always go and see if they're an artist too. And I, um, I feel like the more people understood kind of what went into it, they'd be better consumers. And I don't mean better as in like, I would get less troll comments because who cares? But I mean, better as in like, your experience of the world changes when you are part of a creative practice and you realize how much goes into it. And, you know, you bust through that Dunning-Kruger, whatever graph a
1: little bit, but
0: yeah, no, that's, I, I think, I think that's, that's wonderful.
1: And also something you said too, was the idea of like, even when you talk about pricing, like all of the work that you created and your expertise, being like part of what goes into it and kind of there being value and just like, practicing I feel like that's been something I've taken with me also of like especially as I'm further along in my career and I'm like who should I really be charging the prices that I'm charging but I'm like no I've been studying this for 10 years and that's why I'm able to do it in an hour but it would take someone else three days so it's fine that I'm charging this amount because it's like I have notes on this. I've read books on this. And all of that is also going into all of that. So I think I didn't understand that until you broke it down for me in terms of like paintings and supplies. And I was like, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Oh,
0: yeah, totally. No, I mean, I think a lot of artists undervalue themselves. But I mean, that makes sense in a world that undervalues artists and artistic work and creative work. And it's all been commoditized and chewed up by the machine. I feel like we're in a stage where we're starting to unravel and be really critical of like how art normally is and how like detached and I don't know how yucky it's been for so long. And now that more people are making art and I, you know, and, and to my point about like more people should make art, you know, whether or not they're good at it or whether or not they can sell it is, I think it's just such a net positive because not only does it make your life better, but you know, it just, it, I don't know. It just makes the whole world a better place. I guess I could, again, I'm going to get off my soapbox, but like, that's like my biggest message is like, make art, just get out there, just do it. Have compassion for yourself to like get messy, make something you don't love. And yeah, it teaches you a lot about how to value yourself. And that you are worth value. I think a lot of times people are really cut off from the value part of their labor because they work for a company or, you know, a pricing model that feels removed from them. But there is value to what you make. And just like when my little kids come up to me with their little drawings and stuff and they look very age appropriate, like I would never be like, oh, you can't sell that. Like, it's so beautiful and it's so sweet. And, you know, I don't think when you grow up, you, you <laughs> grow out of that level of love and compassion. You just, you know, I don't know. Anyways, I'm just getting rambly here, but totally. <laughs> Yay. Okay. Well, that's all my questions for you for today. Although I could probably sit here and just ask you about everything. The the hard part y'all about talking to a trend forecaster is like not asking you about every single trend and getting your opinion. But if you want (laughs) to listen more to Megan, she has a podcast, she posts on TikTok. And so I definitely recommend following her, keeping up the conversation. But I, Megan, I just want to say thank you so much for chatting with me. I really appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate your insight. I think my viewers are going to really find a lot of value in what you have to say here and going forward. So thank you again for your time with me today. And yeah, thanks for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I It changed my life meeting you and doing the Spain retreat, and you've opened up my mind to so much stuff. So to hear that you think I'm insightful is just ugh. I can't even. So thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) Thank you. I also want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's taken the time to leave a review on this podcast. It really helps emerging podcasts like the Not Sorry Art Podcast to sort of gain some footing in the Apple Store. It helps people be able to find me. And as always, it's really helpful to see y'all's feedback and help me to guide the direction of this podcast with your reviews. This week in particular, I'd like to thank at travel paint create that's at t-r-a-v-e-l-p-a-i-n-t-c-r-e-a-t-e thank you so much for your review I really appreciate it and if you want to have your handle read off on next week's episode make sure to leave a review leave your handle in that review and I'll read it off thank you again enjoy the rest of your day guys and happy creating